you, worship team. We are in a series in the book of Ruth. It's got four chapters, and we're on chapter three, thinking of it as watching a little mini-series together, so we're on episode three. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you, page 233. You'll find this little book wedged in between the two bigger books, Judges and First Samuel. Now, just trying to review, because we missed a week last week, and try to put our minds onto chapter 3. In chapter 1, Naomi started from a place of fullness. She had a son, I mean, she had a husband and two sons, and she, em- she ended up empty. In fact, at the very end, chapter 1, verse 21, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Just a tough place to end episode one. And it turns out that she wasn't actually empty. She just had exchanged one fullness for another fullness. She was full of bitterness. Some of you know this. You have great, great loss. I mean, just maybe you don't want to try to imagine losing your husband and two sons. That would, that would put a dent in your soul. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. And what happened to Naomi, it happens to a lot of us, is it just that dent got filled in with bitterness. And she says, don't, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasantness. She says, call me Mara. Call me a bitter old woman. Just a, it's sad when you, you reach that kind of place. The only hopeful part about chapter one at all is this, this little fierce, faithful woman named Ruth. You're just beginning, begin, beginning to get to know her. And if you remember that chapter, she was like a small light in a dark season. When you get to chapter 2, I titled that uh, sermon, Proactive Steps in the Providence of God, because it's like watching a split screen. You're doing something or you're watching people take, take action, but you know at the same time there's another screen where God is acting. And the people who are taking action are just trusting God is acting, but we get to see it in this chapter. Ruth goes to a field. Uh, Boaz happens to show up at the same field. Remember what we talked about that? Just lo and behold, guess what happened? Uh, Ruth and Boaz meet. It's like the Hallmark movie. And you're like, yes, they just, just happened upon each other. And at the end of, the ch- end of uh, chapter 2, we have this humble servant, colliding with this honorable man in a small crack in the dam of Naomi's bitterness begins to form. You can see it at the very end of the chapter. Maybe, she says, maybe God's not out to get me. See, when you're, when you're hurting and you're bitter, it feels like God's just coming for you to get you in some way. And so this little crack forms and then she says at the end of the chapter, we've, we've met somebody, Boaz, and he's just not a, a wealthy man who's kind to poor little Ruth to give her some food. He's actually related to Naomi. He's what's called a kinsman redeemer. And this is an important term, and I just want to talk a moment about it before we read chapter 3. You could read about the idea of a kinsman redeemer in Leviticus chapter 25. But what happened was God made a provision so that the land would stay in the family. 
when he brought the people, the Israelites, into the, land, the, the promised land, he divided it up into the 12 tribes of Israel. So everybody, think of it as everybody got a county. And every county was named after the son uh, of, of Jacob. And there's 12 sons, so there's 12 counties, and everybody got this special plot of land. But God knew that over time, some people would fall on hard times. And in order to sustain themselves, they'd have to sell their land to somebody else. And if they got into real poverty, they'd have to sell themselves to somebody else. So God made two provisions so that a family could basically have a second chance. The first provision is he established what was called the, the year of Jubilee. You may have heard of it. it. Happens every 50 years. And every 50 years, all the land goes back to the, to the first owner. Very interesting economic system. It would be worth talking about, but not here. But every 50 years, no matter who had gotten how much land, it would all go back. So every 50 years, it would go back to the original state. And then secondly, in between the, from, uh, the 50 years, the land could be redeemed. But it, it had to be brought back into the family, so just any person couldn't buy it. It had to be a, a near relative, a called a kinsman. And they would purchase it for the family, to bring it back into the family. So the kinsman redeemer was a family member, uh, wealthy enough to take action on behalf of the relative who needs rescue. And in some case, if there was a young widow involved, the kinsman redeemer would be obliged to marry the young widow. And one of the key components of this is if he married her and then she had a son, then the land that he purchased would go to him. You need to feel that. So I come in, I'm rescuing somebody, I pay for some, something, and what I paid for is going to go to somebody else. That's the kinsman redeemer. I'm going to make a purchase price for somebody who cannot purchase something on their own. They're in poverty. They're lost. They're enslaved. And then I'm going to turn around and give it to them. Now, we can already see the shadow of the cross, can we not? Somebody's going to come in and purchase something that we've lost and we can't buy back. And then when they pay for it, they're going to give it to us. They're going to restore us. That's the kinsman redeemer. So we're at that point where Ruth and Boaz have met, and then there's a strange strategy that gets hatched in chapter 3. So I'm going to read that as we follow, you follow along with me. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put your cloak on, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did just what her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. 
Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman was laying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true, I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the women came to the threshing floor. So he said, bring the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. So he held it out and measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must, go back, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And then she replied, Wait. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's take a moment to reflect together on God's word. The image that I've tried to use in trying to go through this book is like uh, watching a mini-series with me with remote control. You remember those? So just, it's a joy because I can press pause and then focus in on things you can't see or things you might not have noticed. And many people have come up to my wife in the last few weeks and said, does he really do that? And they, she says, yeah, he really does. And they go, that would just irritate the heck out of me. <laughs> so thank you for your prayers on her behalf. But let's just press pause on verse 1. What do you notice right away? It's easy to miss. There's been a definite shift in Naomi. See, up until now, Naomi's been completely absorbed with the three most important people in her life, me, myself, and I. But her bitterness that has turned her inward begins to break in chapter 2. And now we see she's actually able to focus on somebody else. This is the first time she really reaches out in some kind of compassion towards Ruth, like, hey, I'm caring now about you. What about your future? You see what happens when bitterness breaks open? You begin to focus on someone other than yourself. And Naomi knows she faces a tremendous challenge in trying to find a place for Ruth to find rest, to find a husband, to find care for the rest of her life. Who would be willing to take Ruth the Moabite? It's helpful for us just to remember the background. If you're not familiar with it, you can go back and look at Genesis 19. And how did the, the, the country of Moab begin? Do you remember this story? So Lot and his family are down in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Lot and his two daughters escape sort of miraculously 
from the destruction of, of just the sexual perversity that's taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. And this, this man, Lot, and his two daughters sort of run into the hills. And the daughters, for reasons that I don't understand, get nervous that they are not going to be able to have a son, so they get their father drunk enough to have sex with them. And he does, and each of the daughters bears a son. And the oldest son, I mean the oldest daughter has a son and names him, what? Moab. So that's how the Moabites start. That's the history. And every country has a history, and this is the beginning of it. It's like a, a bad seed got planted there. And it gets picked up in Numbers chapter 25 when the Israelites are coming through Moab. The Moabite women, who many of them prostitute themselves in temple worship, seduce the Israelite men to come to the temple where they have sex together as part of a worship service. Imagine that. It's just, it's just disgusting. But you get the sense of this is Moab. This is, this is the kind of uh, tenor that you have in Moab. It's just a place where it's just vile and they've just completely lost all sense of any kind of moral code. And, and if you're an Israelite and you follow after Yahweh, the, the true God, then you just don't have anything to do with Moab. They're not friendly towards you. They drag you away. And so Ruth, the Moabite, is going to have a hard time finding a husband. I mean, who would want her? I mean, you, you married Ruth, the Moabite? I mean, he's, he's at least going to be uh, shunned, if not completely disowned. Like, we just don't, like, I mean, I know you were a man of standing, but, like, we just don't want to, like, we can't be in your friend group anymore. So it's going to be a terrible challenge. And you feel that. What kind, of, what kind of person would take a risk on somebody like Ruth? So here's Naomi's strange strategy. Did you see it? This, this drives Bible commentators crazy, <laughs> which was really great for me because then I'm like, I can't, if, I, if they can't figure it out, then I'm not going to figure it out. So let's just try to go straight forward through this. Uh, and you can decide for yourself, what's Naomi's motive? I mean, she wants to find her a husband, but do you think it's manipulative? Or is it just desperation? Do you think it's risky? Or is it risque? Is it, is it seducing Boaz? See, it depends on who you read as to how you might think about it. Nobody's sure. But notice chapter 2 filmed if you're a movie man movie person you it's all in the light it's out in the field bright sunny day all chapter three it's dark everything's filled in the filmed in the darkness all kinds of whispers all kinds of sexual innuendo happening in these dark conversations ruth puts on perfume she puts on her best dress she's, she's not going to get barley or wheat tonight her instructions from Naomi, it's hard to imagine. Go and approach Boaz after he's eaten and had something to drink. Find him when he's alone and lay down next to him. 
The word, the word lie down is used eight times in this chapter. So it's the writers highlighting this moment. Very sexually charged. And then she uses this phrase, uncover his feet, which could be a very sexually charged suggestion. It's not just uncovering his robe. And you're reading it and you just want to say, what in the heck is Naomi advising Ruth to do? I mean, does this sound like a good plan? Would you get Mother of the Year award for asking your teenage daughter to do this? I mean, this is just, this is a, ter a terrible plan. And then listen to the final instructions. Well, when he wakes up, he'll tell you what to do. Well, I got an idea what he might want to do right then. So it's a very, very strange strategy. And I'm so thankful that the Bible here is not describing how everyone should become a couple. Um, whatever Naomi's motive, her, her strange strategy, at the very least, puts a very honorable man and a very honorable woman in a very vulnerable position. I mean, no matter what you think about it, these two honorable people up to this point are now in a very vulnerable position. Ruth has acted honorably. She's very humble. She's gleaned from the field. She's been treated kindly by Boaz, this single but older man. Everybody knows he's a man of standing. But now in verse 7, they're laying down in the dark alone together what's going to happen so if you're filming it into verse 7 cut to commercial because you've set the scene and then you're like okay okay this is a this is a decisive moment here what what's going to happen in the story and in verse 8 through 12 really what you have very oddly again ruth basically proposes to boaz did you notice that? It's a very unusual thing. That around midnight, Boaz wakes up and finds this young man, young woman lying beside him. And understandably, he says, well, who are you? Who are you? Now, this probably has a double meaning, and I'll come back to it in just a moment. But at least it means, who are you? I can't see you. I can't believe there's a young woman laying down next to me in the middle of the night. And then Ruth says, I am Ruth, your servant. Does she say, tell me what to do? This is the instruction. I'm Ruth, your servant. And then just she's playing the tape of Naomi. You tell me what to do next. No, that's not what she does. She does say, I'm Ruth. I'm your servant. And I don't know exactly what's happening here. But I'm just imagining Ruth, this young servant. She's put herself in a very vulnerable spot. I don't think she fell asleep. I think she played a conversation in her head. You've done this, have you not? Just, okay, as soon as he wakes up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, I'm gonna, uh, you know, and she's rehearsing this thing. Many of you have had this, like you're going into a critical conversation, and while you're driving to it, like you say, okay, when they say this, I'm going to say this. And I think she's got this conversation going in her head. And when he says, who are you? She's just like a bottle that pops open. Like she can't just say, I'm Ruth, you're certain. No, she's just, she's popped open 
and she says exactly what she would like to, to see happen, which basically she says, well, I'm Ruth, your servant. Would you marry me? I mean, I can't hold it in. Now, she uses a sort of an unusual phrase here in verse 3, but chapter 9, or chapter 3, verse 9. Uh, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are my redeemer. Again, this phrase has a potentially confusing tone to it. It can be an invitation to a sexual encounter. That phrase is used in the Bible elsewhere as an invitation to a sexual encounter. So it's a risky proposal. But I think, and I'll show you why I think this in just a moment, Ruth is asking Boaz to see her faith and act honorably. I think that's what's happening here. Now, let's just look back with me in chapter 2, verse 12. Remember when they first met back in the light of day? And she asked her, verse 10, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? This is Ruth talking to Boaz out in the field. And Boaz answered her, chapter 2, verse 11, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since your death of your husband has been fully told, and how you've taken care of her, and how you've come to these people. Verse 12, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have taken refuge. So I think she's importing this statement of his into her statement. And saying, you saw me and you noticed I'm take, I took shelter under God's wings. And now I'm asking you, can I take shelter under your wings? I think that's why I think she's saying, could you notice my character right now while we're laying down in the dark? Now, this is a very powerful moment because what Ruth is asking for from Boaz is this, Boaz, will you respond to me the way God has responded to me? Boaz, you know I have found shelter under the wings of God. Now I'm asking if I cannot found shelter under the wings of a godly man. We both know how God has cared for me. I'm wondering if you can care for me the same way. This is very powerful. It's very similar to the New Testament, Ephesians 5 and 6. Husbands, love your wives, how? As Christ loved the church. So if you're a woman looking to get married, Christian woman looking to get married, a Christian woman who's married, you're in a very vulnerable position and you, you're saying to your Christian husband or fiancé, I'm, I'm, I have found shelter underneath God's wings. And I'm wondering if you, husband, can be his physical wings for me right now. Or will you take advantage of me? See, I put myself in a very vulnerable position, and I'm wondering if there are godly men who act like God or who act like their king. See, you feel that? So women, find men who act like Boaz. 
But men, act like Boaz. If you're a Christian man, you in the picture, not just at your marriage, the moment of your marriage, but for your entire marriage, you are Christ. You feel, I want you to feel that weight. That, that your wife and then your family have, are saying, we need shelter. And we're looking at it for, from God, but you're the physical manifestation for us right now. And we're wondering if we can come underneath your wing and you'll do everything you can, even lay down your life for us. Will you do that? See, this is, this is a very sobering moment, men, is it not? So just ask yourself, hey, how am I doing here? Verse 10, and Boaz responded. Again, if you're filming it, Ruth says, will you marry me? And Boaz goes, and there's a long pause, and you're looking at the television screen. Say yes, Boaz. I mean, you're all in. Come on, this is a critical moment. Don't leave me hanging here. This young woman has taken this huge risk. She's laid down with you alone in the dark. She's a servant and you're a landowner. What will Boaz do? Please, Boaz, do the right thing. Now, this, this moment is a, is a big test, but it's a test. A, a lot of couples, young people, you're going to find yourself in this test. I wish you wouldn't get to this point, but you, many of you will get to this point. You'll be laying down with somebody you want alone in the dark. And it's going to be a big test. And what's going to win? Your sexual hunger or honor? Boaz passes the test. Notice the very first thing he does. This is so critical. He brings the Lord into the situation. You see that in verse 10? And he said, now look, Boaz's mind is spinning, right? He's still trying to wipe sleep, sleep from his eyes. He just got proposed to by this young woman. And what does he do? May you be blessed by Yahweh, my daughter. What does this tell you about Boaz? He knows God is always looking. He's never alone. God is with him. And he's not alone with Ruth at this moment. The Lord is in this situation. Now, it looks like it's a, he's alone, but he's not alone. And he just incorporates God. Okay, God is here. This is a great, great practice. And you just go, yes, Boaz, yes. You, you are that person who Ruth is going to find shelter under because you've got the, the Lord on your side. He's watching you. And then he says, I will do all, all that you ask. The, the kinsman redeemer has arrived. And then he does something that really is remarkable. Again, so easy to skip through verse 11. He looks this worthy man who everyone knows, looks at Ruth and says, you're a worthy woman. 
I just want you to feel how he elevates her to his status. You feel that? She's no longer just a servant. She's no longer a Moabite that nobody wants. No, I'm a worthy man that everybody knows, and you're a worthy woman that everyone should know. He brings her right up beside her and says, we're equals. This is a very powerful moment. Imagine Ruth at this point. He's just breathing life into her soul and saying, you're making me a, a partner with you in our trust for the Lord. Cue the violins and the heart emojis all over the place. Let me press pause here and just note that in the Hebrew Bible, which is the Old Testament Bible organization before we put the New Testament with it, the book of Ruth follows the book of Proverbs. Why is that interesting? What's the last chapter in the book of Proverbs about? The virtuous woman. I mean, a virtuous woman, who can find? You know, her value is more than rubies, right? Let me just read a couple of passages here for you in case you're not familiar with. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the first fruits of her hands and let her works praise her. It's like the, the Old Testament writers were saying, I want to give you some uh, knowledge of the person and then I want to give you a picture of the person. It's Ruth. She's the Proverbs 31 woman. Such a beautiful, beautiful picture. And so, yay, Boaz and Ruth, they spend the night laying down holy together in a heap of grain, whatever that must have felt like. <laughs> and they live happily ever after. Isn't that wonderful? Except that's not the way the story ends, right? I mean, you have verse 12. It's true, I'm a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Again, if you're watching it as a series, you're like, no, we don't want another redeemer. We've spent two and a half chapters and all this tension getting you two together. We're not interested in another Redeemer. We're interested in you, Boaz, you and Ruth getting together. And honestly, I thought this week I would want to stop and say, Boaz, come on, man. The other Redeemer doesn't even know she exists. Don't be so honorable right now. I didn't think that other people were talking and thinking that for me. But Boaz, he's like honorable to the bone. No, I'm going to do what's right. So, he sends Ruth back to Naomi with 50 pounds of grain, which I guess was a kindness, but... <laughs> and he promises that he's going to take action. And you get to the end of that, and you're just like, burr, burr, burr. I mean, just, I mean, we just had all this energy going one way. Verse 16 through 18, <coughs> Ruth returns to Naomi. Sorry, just make sure you're awake. <laughs> and what does Naomi say? Now, in, your, in the ESV, it's not well translated. Um, and when she came to her mother-in-law, 
she said, how did you fare, my daughter? That's really not what it says. It says in the Hebrew, who are you? Isn't that interesting? Boaz looks at Ruth and says what? I mean, who are you? Ruth comes back into Naomi saying, and Naomi says, I mean, who are you? I think it's meant for you to stop and just say, I mean, who is this woman? I mean, these two people are the ones that are intersecting with her, but yet they're like, you're like a different kind of person. You're, you're so admirable. Your character is so strong. Your faithfulness is so deep. You, you're the one that's been proactive. You're the one who's taking great risk. You're, you're the one who's brought themselves to Bethlehem. You're the one who blurted out this marriage proposal. Just stop and just be amazed at the faithfulness and the fierceness of Ruth. She's a great role model. Humble, hardworking, risk-taking, faithful, courageous, determined. And she returns now to Naomi, this woman of action. And Naomi looks at this woman of action and tells her a four-letter word. So some of you, especially if you're young, you want to cover your ears. Wait. Oh. Do you have that same reaction? Wait. I can't wait another episode. I mean, let's bring it together right now. Wait. Wait. I mean, you get to the end of the chapter and you just feel the weight of that. Wait, my daughter. I don't want to wait. I I want to do anything but wait. I'm a person of action. You can make application to yourself, can you not? Every parent knows this. You know this. God intends to put you in positions that you have been actively working at and getting you to a point where you can't do anything else. But wait. It's an intention. It's a design. It's not like, gosh, I couldn't get all the way to the end. No, he meant that you couldn't get all the way to the end. So that you just learn to wait. Because it's not all about you. See, if you could get it all the way to the end on every project, oh, oh, I'm so good. But this woman of action has to just say, you know what? I've given it to the Lord. I'm going to wait. Psalm 5.3. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and I. I wait. There are some requests that require waiting. And if you try to intervene, you'll mess it up. I won't ask for a show of hands. (laughs) Oh, if I just waited. But I just, I had to insert myself. I had to say one more thing. I had to get in the last word. I had to be in control. And this thing, if I just waited and trusted, I I did take action. I didn't just sit at home. I did things, but I got to a point and God just looked at me and said, hey, let's wait. I'm still working. I mean, the split screen, you're waiting, but I am still doing things over there. And you just just wait. 
What happens next? Well, you have to wait <laughs> till next week. So it's just a little little uh, object lesson here. Of course, you could read ahead for yourself if you want to, but I don't know where how this story strikes you today, you know? Strange, strange thing happened here, is it not? I mean, this is very unusual, one of the most unusual chapters in the whole Bible. And yet somehow in this very unusual circumstance, God is still orchestrating things. And maybe you find yourself in just the most unusual situation and just say, just trust that God's orchestrating it still. Just, even if it just is a bad motive, I mean, just say, but it's not like he's not in the picture somehow. Maybe you just just amazed or blown over by Ruth like I am. I mean, she is, she is the Proverbs 31 woman. She's got a lot of things that men and women should admire. Maybe you're a husband or a fiancé, and you really need to consider Boaz. But you have somebody vulnerable who's saying, can I find God in the man of God? Maybe you need to wait. I don't know, but I trust the Lord does. Let's pray. Lord, what a what a great few moments just to sit together and observe this strange event that happens in one woman, one man's life three thousand years ago. And how you, you can orchestrate different pieces of that and bring people together this morning, 9 o'clock in Wilmington, North Carolina. And you can use it to speak to their hearts, to say, hey, that, that was me speaking to you. So I pray that you would take the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart and make them useful helpful, pleasing. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.